0: According to AARP, 70% of Americans who live to be 65 will need long-term care at some point. Though what kind of long-term care depends upon an individual's physical, emotional, and mental health. A project at Miami University has been studying long-term care, and that's the focus of this episode of Stats and Stories, where we explore the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics. I'm Rosemary Pennington. Stats and Stories is a production of Miami University's Departments of Statistics and Media, Journalism and Film, as well as the American Statistics. Association. Joining me is regular panelist John Baylor, Emeritus Professor of Statistics at Miami University, and our guest today is Bob Applebaum, Director of the Ohio Long Term Care Research Project and Professor in the Department of Sociology and Gerontology at Miami University. Applebaum's research interests include long term care, quality assurance, program planning and evaluation, and health and social welfare policy. He's published numerous journal articles examining aspects of long term care and and elder care Bob thank you so much for joining us today my pleasure just to get started what exactly are we talking about when we talk about long-term care
1: okay great question you know if you think about your day-to-day life you get up in the morning you get dressed make breakfast go to work you're performing what we call in our trade uh, the tasks of daily living and those tasks are something that we don't think about day in and day out, but when you can't perform those tasks by yourself, then you need long-term care. And it's just that simple. And when we try to determine who needs long-term care, it really is based on the functional ability to do those day-to-day tasks.
2: Yeah, you know, so Bob, there, there are these activities of daily living that we often hear about, and there's instrumental activities of daily living. Could you give us a couple of examples of each? Sure. And since we're in stats and
1: stories, we'll even start with a little stat part of this. Oh, man. Oh, baby, be still, my heart. (laughs) There you go. So, essentially, the ADL scale that John mentioned, the activities of daily living, were actually developed by a physician named Sid Katz uh, in Cleveland, Ohio in 1963. And he was watching people who were recovering from a stroke. And what he saw was the first thing they could do in recovery was to be able to feed themselves. And the next thing that they could do was they could actually get from their bed to a chair. And the next thing they could do would be to make it to the bathroom and then the last two things they could do were dress themselves independently and bathe or shower themselves independently and that formed what became the adl scale today that is used to determine who needs to go to a nursing home or if the state will pay for you to go to a nursing home and just for a little more geekiness the adl scale is a gutman scale Mm-hmm. which essentially means if you're going to be impaired in one thing on the ADL scare, it's bathing. And if you're somebody that's impaired in eating, you're probably going to be impaired in everything.
2: Hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so how does that? So, there's a quick follow-up. I also heard about this thing like this instrumental, right? A, a, how does that that extend this idea? So, the
1: instrumental activities of daily living are kind of a next level, if you will, and they're things like: can you go to the grocery store and shop for yourself? Can hmm. you clean your house? Uh, can you manage your money? Can you uh, do things that again? you you may be able to continue to bathe yourself, but maybe you can You can no longer take public transportation or you can no longer drive. So the IDL tasks are the next level up, if you will, and generally for people who really need heavy long-term services assistance, we focus on those ADL tasks, but certainly for those of us that have loved ones in the community, they begin to need help when they can't do those IADL tasks.
0: There has been a lot in the news about the, the aging population and how there are more people living longer. And I wonder if over the course of the work that you've been doing, whether you have seen a change in how people are thinking about long-term care, whether people are more aware of the need for it, or if you have any sense of sort of, if that there's been a shift in that at all.
1: I'll give you a yes and no for that. I think on the plus side, for many years, most older people, if you ask them about long-term care, they would say, yes, my Medicare will cover that. And it doesn't. It never has. And I think today more older people know that Medicare is not the answer. The no part of that is that it's still very difficult and most people don't plan for long-term care. If I, if I ask John, do you think someday – you will die. He'll say probably. <laughs> um, and 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 most people will, will will recognize. And so when we get to a certain age that we have children, we buy life insurance because we know we're not going to avoid death. But if I ask John, do you think someday you won't be able to take a shower by yourself? Do you think mm-hmm. someday you won't be able to cook your own meals? Most of us can't imagine that. And so We don't plan for it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's funny. The Department of Aging some years ago had us do a project because they came up with an idea. It was called Own Your Own Future. And they were going to do free trainings around the state to help people plan for long-term care. Nobody came. And so they hired us to find out this is so obvious, why aren't people coming? And my colleague Kathy McGoon and I did focus groups across the state and the cover title of a report kind of said it all. It was a eighty-five year old guy from someplace in Ohio and he said, quote, I'm eighty five, I'm still using my power tools.
2: Why would I think about long term care? So uh, wow, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, so so Rosemary started with with this uh, this statistic of seventy percent of age sixty five or older uh, needing long term care. Can can you kind of tie that seventy percent to this this ADL, and then maybe we can circle back to some of what you've just said about kind of the the thinking that people have?
1: Sure. So first of all, the question really starts with what is long term care. Mm. Mm. Because there's how many folks will have some type of IDL or ADL disability? And what we know is, particularly if we focus on the ADL disability, that if we look at folks 65 plus, of course there's a lot of variability. So in the age group 65 to 70, we're talking about 2 percent of the population in that age group that has an ADL disability, so very small. But if we go to the 90 plus group, now you're probably talking about 55 percent, still not a hundred, so even at 90 plus, a lot of people don't need long-term care. So first of all, what is long-term care? We used to think of nursing homes as long-term care. Right. In fact, the first book I ever read in grad school was called Last Home for the Aged. Some people think it was the only book I read in grad school. <laughs> that's a different story. Was it? Did it have coloring?
2: <laughs> yeah, in it? You exactly. know, was it?
1: <laughs> so in that book, the argument was, once you went to a nursing home, that's where you lived the rest of your life today, that's not true, because Mm -hmm. we have had major changes in our health care system so that many people go to nursing homes now for short-term rehabilitation. So in fact, we've done three studies where we've followed everybody that walked into an Ohio nursing home, and we've done it three times. The first time we did it was in the early 1990s, because we heard about the short-term care. And what we found was that for everybody that walked into a nursing home, after three months Forty-five percent of those people were still there. The rest had gone. And we thought, wow. Then we did it again in 2010 and we did it again in 2014. In 2014, what we found was that everybody who walked into a nursing home after three months, 16% were still there. Wow. And most of those people went home. Mm-hmm. And that's because so many people now use nursing homes for rehabilitation. So, nursing homes, which we used to think of as long term care isn't long-term care for su- for many. For some, it is. Uh, particularly, there are people that have dementia, living uh, with Alzheimer's or other related disorders, who might spend three, four, five years in a nursing home. But by and large, nursing homes are serving both short-term and long-term people. We also have a lot of people getting care in the community. Mm. Um, home care has grown dramatically over the last 20 years. And, in fact, uh, we do a study. We've done it for 30 years for the state where we track nursing home use versus home care use. And 30 years ago in the state, if we looked at everybody who Medicaid, the public source of payment for nursing home care, if we looked at everybody who was getting nursing home care uh, in 30 years ago, 91 out of 100 folks were living in a nursing home. Today, that same number is 57% uh, live in the community and 43% in nursing homes. So the state has changed dramatically how we deliver care, uh, and so a lot more home care is now provided.
0: Bob, how much do you think the association of long-term care with nursing homes has impacted people's willingness to think about it? Because I have Mm. a lot of family members who are like, I don't want to go to a nursing home, and and then we'll have other conversations about, well, what kind of care could we help you with? So how much of an impact do you think that's had on, on this willingness to engage in this planning?
1: Absolutely. You know, I've been studying this for a lot of years. I've still yet to meet somebody who says, I can't wait to get to the nursing home. <laughs> right, right. So that's a given. Nobody wants to go to the nursing home. The fact is that the vast majority of older people do not live in nursing homes. In fact, on any given day, if you take a snapshot of the older population Uh, probably a little bit more than four percent of the older 65 population lives in a nursing home and more importantly if you look at even the population of people with severe disability so in Ohio we have on any given day about hundred and eighty thousand people over the age of 60 that we classify as being severely disabled and that's based on those ADL uh, definitions that we talked about earlier of that hundred and eighty thousand So these people are all very severely disabled, less than a quarter of those people live in a nursing home. Mm -hmm. So many, many older people, even with severe disability, live at home with their family members, they buy care privately, and now we've seen another giant industry growth, and that's called assisted living. And in the state, when we first started our study, there were about 200 licensed residential care facilities, which is how assisted living are licensed. Today, there are about 850.
0: Wow. You're listening to Stats and Stories, and today we're talking to Bob Applebaum of the Scripps Gerontology Center at Miami University.
2: I'm, I'm curious about how, you know, all the, the work that you've done in and, and this long-term care project, how, how does that impact kind of policy towards this? I mean, it's, it seems like you've, you've kind of traced the, the change of, of demand for, for services, how these, these different types of facilities are being utilized. This is clearly going to be a major expense in any state's budget. Abs- absolutely. So, how has that changed, or and and are, are, does the work that you do help inform kind of some of those changes? Well, we hope so. <laughs>
1: <laughs> when we first started the study, Ohio was one of the lowest ranked states in providing community-based options for its citizens. Hmm. So when we first started our study, we were ranked 47th out of 50 in our, what they call balancing between institutional care and home care. In a most recent rating by AARP, uh, Ohio was ranked 19th. Hmm. And so Ohio has changed dramatically how it delivers long-term services. And in fact, as I mentioned, on any given day now, we serve more people in home and community-based services than we do in a nursing home. And that was unthinkable 25 years ago. We like to think that our data has helped state policymakers make better decisions about this balancing because the data about how we ranked very low were used to expand. Uh, In 2014, the Pew Foundation, Pew Charitable Trust, put out a report about how states use data to make good decisions, and the one example they gave for Ohio was our project. So oh, at man. least the few people think we did something right. Congrats.
0: What do you mean by community based? So I think nursing homes we know and then at home sort of seems like an obvious but Maybe you could sort of expand on that, too. But what is a community-based solution for long-term care?
1: So essentially, when we talk about community-based care, most of that care is in a person's home or the home of a relative if they happen to live with a, a loved one. And then the kinds of services they get would be anything from somebody to come in and help them take a shower, somebody to come in and prepare a meal for them, somebody to come in and... And and visit with them to just make sure that they're doing okay and and after that it depends There are also some equipment a lifeline which you've seen on TV is 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 a common uh, Equipped piece of equipment and 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 there are others But those are the kinds of of services and the and the vast majority of services for people with long-term care needs Do involve personal care uh, because it's helped with those functional uh, challenges of daily living. And even if you live in a nursing home, the most service that you get are personal care services because mm-hmm. that's what people with mm-hmm. long term care mm-hmm. needs. that's what they have to get.
2: Yeah know, so so you're at a, at a research. You know, so you're studying this and I, I, you know, the minute I I think about that, I start thinking about, okay, well, that means that there's some kind of study designs for evaluating questions of interest, that there's some data collected, some analysis that's being done. And in particular, you know, I'm just curious, what what kind of are some of the mechanisms that you use to evaluate the efficacy of services that are provided or alternatives for providing services? That's a great question. I mean, I
1: have been involved in, uh, many years ago, a randomized clinical trial where people were uh, randomized to receive additional home and community-based services compared to a control group that was getting what existed in the community at the time. It was called the National Long-Term Care Channeling Demonstration. It was a a 10-state demonstration that Uh, was large, involved 10,000 people and uh, uh, lots and lots of of folks. And um, interestingly, that uh, project had mixed results in that it did show that people could be safely served in the community, but it also showed that even people in the control group that were getting less service they and their families were going to do everything they could to not go to a nursing home either. Mm -hmm. And so while the project did have an impact on nursing home use, it was not as big as the framers had thought it would be. One of the things that we've done in our study, which I think is interesting is Ohio has expanded its home and community-based services dramatically. That's both in-home care and the other piece of that is this thing called assisted living, which is considered a community-based service as well. Mm. Uh, Because in assisted living, you have your own apartment, you uh, have your own bathroom, you have a door that you can close and lock, and so it gives people more independence. So we also think of that as as a community-based service. In, In both of those settings, uh, you know, people are really striving for, for independent, and, and that's what most, most people want. What we did was we, we looked at what happens when Ohio has expanded its expenditures in home and community-based services. And when we first, when I first testified to the legislature, one of the first questions I got was, well, if you expand services, won't it just cost the state more money? because you're expanding services, but we're still going to have nursing homes. And what we have done in our research is we've actually looked at the utilization rate and combining home care and nursing home care. And what's happened over the last 30 years is that We've just changed the ratio of home care to nursing home, but our utilization rate is unchanged over the 30 years. So we use that as evidence to say that, no, we're not, inc- we're not increasing the rate of use. We're just changing how people use services.
2: You know, you, you talked about this as assisted living as kind of a, a services in context. You know, I've, I found myself when you were talking about earlier about kind of changes in nursing homes to thinking about sort of these this new idea that that emerged over the last number of decades, the idea of continuing care retirement communities. That that in some sense, what I what I thought of in in my own framing of this as a nursing home, I'm, I'm not sure it exists. Is that all without? as much out of this context of maybe a continuum of services that many people might engage with? And that might be my own kind of ignorance here.
1: Well, so. you know, it, it's like everything. It's, it's complicated. We do have something called continuing care retirement communities. And those places uh, start with independent housing yeah. uh, I love it because they call them cottages but like some <laughs> of them are 3,500 square feet bigger than my house and then they have uh, apartment living and then they might have uh, uh, supportive services in apartment living and then they might have assisted living and then they have nursing home care and that's called a continuing care retirement community but I, it also is important to recognize that those are rarities okay if you All look right. at the, the older population in America Three percent of the older population lives in a CCRC. In fact, most older people will never even walk into one. Okay, uh, and, and that there are reasons for that, which we could talk about. Some of it related to cost. Okay, uh, some of it related to a desire to live in a in in a sort of community that's not heterogeneous. Mm. In addition to that we have assisted living facilities and nursing homes. Most assisted living and most nursing homes are freestanding. That's all they have. So in Ohio, we have 960 nursing homes and 85% of them are freestanding. In Ohio, we have 825 assisted living facilities, which are not actually legally licensed as assisted living. They're called residential care facilities. And again, uh, probably 90% of those are freestanding. So the continuum that you
2: refer to, John, is not a continuum in most places. Okay. I mean, that's, that's the familiarity of kind of local exposure, I think, that uh, that we have, have here. I, you know, I, I wish that people that, that are listening to this could see that Bob is just pulling all of this out of memory. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm just I'm, I'm really impressed that these are, these are all at your fingertips to, to, to report out on this. And and thanks for that context. It, although it makes me now wonder, you know, if, if you have all of these freestanding elements, if someone gives in an assisting living facility and has need for skilled nursing care, that sounds like a. it sort of opens up headaches for kind of, gee, how do I do this? How do I transition? So have you studied kind of these pa- various patterns of transition from community to assisted living and back, or possibly into skilled nursing care and beyond?
1: We have. One of the things that we've seen is that the assisted living facilities, because most f- folks that are long-term stayers in a nursing home Or assisted living have memory care we're Mm -hmm. seeing a dramatic increase in memory care units in assisted living Uh so in many cases the memory care person will stay in assisted living the rest of their life Mm -hmm. and they've geared up to be able to do that Uh, there are some people that have uh, such high skilled needs because assisted living by law can only provide 120 skilled days of care a year. Uh That means if somebody needs nursing, they can get it in assisted living. It's provided through a home health agency, ironically, But they can only get 120 days a year, and after that, they would need to be transferred uh, Mm -hmm. to a nursing home. So, there's a lot of technical stuff on it, but by and large, assisted livings are doing everything they can to make it the last stop in the the process, but that's not always the case. The other thing I might add is that you may have heard of active adult communities places like the villages in Florida where people are, you know, going to be swinging uh, (laughs) 60-year-olds that can, you know, go to the pool, go to the weight room, go to the bar, whatever. And those are becoming quite popular. But one thing to your question, John, those places, if you get disabled at all, you are out the door. They oh. have no services. So it's also important for people, if they're thinking about the swinging single life or the swinging life in a active adult community, they ought to be thinking about what could happen next.
0: Bob, what advice would you have for journalists who are going to be covering issues around long-term care? Because I do feel like a lot of media representations that I can remember you know you tend to see nursing homes or these kinds of places in the news when things go badly for the for the residents or but what advice would you have for journalists who want to do like a thorough job of exploring this issue
1: i think certainly there's continues to be a lot of focus on nursing home quality. Uh, the state is the governor in the state of the state address talked about setting up a commission for nursing home quality. So I think there's there's still a lot of attention on that. Assisted living facilities which have grown dramatically and serve almost as many people as we do in nursing homes are much less heavily regulated and I think that's going to be an area of concern. And then I think you know, there's a tremendous expansion of home care services and trying to make sure that people get adequate care in the home is also an issue. The big issue of the day right now, which we see across society but is really impacting long-term care, is the worker issue. Oh. Uh, we have a tremendous shortage of direct care workers and that is creating major challenges for all three sectors, home care, assisted living, and nursing homes. And it's not an understatement to call it a crisis.
2: You, you know, the, the one time that, that we have certainly have seen just a tremendous amount of, of discussion and uh, about both both nursing homes and nursing home workers has been the impact of COVID on, on the facilities. And, uh, you know, could, could you just give a, you know, kind of just sort of your reaction from thinking about long-term care and how this pandemic exposure that's impacted all our lives has uniquely and significantly impacted this particular slice of our community?
1: Absolutely. You know, one of the projects that we're doing at Scripps is a partnership with the AARP Public Policy Institute. And what happened was when COVID came, first came out, the impact on nursing homes immediately was dramatic. And I can talk about that in more detail, but you may recall the headlines with deaths in nursing home. And in fact, uh, COVID has impacted nursing home residents more than any segment of the population. Uh, today, all told throughout the pandemic, about 25 to 30% of all the deaths from COVID have been nursing home residents. Mm-hmm. And mind you, that represents of the population. So it's a teeny tiny percent of the population that was dramatically impacted. In the work that we do with AARP, uh, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, CMS, has started collecting data from nursing homes to put into a database that is pretty much inaccessible to the public. So what we do with AARP is every month we process those data, and then AARP puts it on a national dashboard to track COVID infections, deaths of residents, infections of staff, and it also includes um, a data about the short staff in, mm. of direct care workers, and we uh, put that out every month. And I will tell you, of every, all the projects that I've done in my 38 years of of Miami, this project has gotten more media attention mm-hmm. than anything that we've done. There have already been more than two, th- two thousand media stories uh, using that those data. Wow! Uh, because every every month there's some state that has gone high or gone low, and it gets attention. But the impact on nursing homes has been nothing short of devastating. You know, at the height of COVID pre-vaccine in Ohio our infection rate was 20 per facility. The average facility is 100 residents. So if you think about an impact of 20 residents, it's phenomenal, and about four of those 20 residents died. So at the height of COVID, nursing homes were impacted just absolutely dramatically.
0: Well, I'm sorry to end the episode on such a a depressing note, but Bob, thank you so much for being here. I think we could probably done a second episode talking about the work you've been doing. My pleasure, and thanks for asking. Thanks, Bob. Stats and Stories is a partnership between Miami University's Departments of Statistics and Media, Journalism, and Film and the American Statistical Association. You can follow us on Twitter at Stats and Stories, Apple Podcasts, or other places where you can find podcasts. If you'd like to share your thoughts on the program, send your email to statsandstories at miamioh.edu or check us out at statsandstories.net. And be sure to listen for future editions of Stats and Stories, where we discuss the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics.